Hey, welcome to the cast. My name is Mike and I'm here with Sam and we're just excited today to be hanging out, chatting about life, things we care about, and inviting you guys into that conversation because that's really the heart of what we're doing here at the cast, to have honest, real, raw, unedited, and kind of off-the-cuff conversation with things that we care about and think that you might care about too, things that are going on in our life, questions that we've been given uh, through some of you guys, the the listeners, or just things that are going on um, in culture. And so we're just pumped, honestly excited to be here tonight. And I just want to say thanks to everyone who's rated and reviewed, subscribed to what we're doing. Uh, it helps get the word out, spread the conversation wider. And so we just are so appreciative of that. And again, to all everyone who's been putting in questions we are so thankful for that. Um, it helps guide our conversation, give us cool things to talk about. In fact, some of the questions that have come in that recently have been very challenging and thought-provoking. We just really love it. And so continue to do that. We really want to just make this um, not just a dialogue between Sam and I and a guest, but a conversation in a community. So we're just so pumped up. Agreed. And I just want to send out another reminder that the views and opinions expressed on the cast are those of myself, Mike, and whoever our guests are, and may not necessarily reflect the views of Risen City Church. Y'all ready for this? All right, I'm going to read a little scripture from uh, 1 Kings. It says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. My question to you today, Mike, is, do you think Solomon went to hell? Um, it's an honest question because I know some people think he did. I've never even thought of this question before. So, I guess technically, um, let's bear in mind they were under the old covenant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, it does depend on how you read Song of Songs. No, that's a lie. No Song of Songs. Ecclesiastes. Because some argue that Ecclesiastes is Solomon's repentance letter. Because at the end of the letter, he comes to the, the author comes to it. Now, I don't, this thing is, I don't necessarily believe Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Yeah. But at the end of the letter, it says that, like, you know, remember the days of, remember the creator days of your youth, because the days of trial are coming. And he gets back to this point, essentially, like, submit to Jesus, submit to God, follow him. That's the chief aim of men, essentially. And some have read that as his repentance letter, that he okay. realized at his old age, God, like... I am, I am this, right? I'm, I, I was not faithful. I was this hedonistic, self-absorbed guy that with all the wisdom in the world still couldn't find wisdom. Yeah. Right? 
And if that's the case, true. But you also could argue from this that this was a kingly thing, right? Because right. what God is calling on is the covenants of David, not the covenant to Israel, right? The covenant of David was that you would be a someone on the throne, and we know that Jesus ultimately filled that. Yeah. And that's the covenant he references, so it could be the rejection of him as king. Okay. Not him as a so human. So just purely temporal right? consequences? You could argue, I would argue, I've never even thought about that, so I don't, that's never even posed to me, actually, which is weird. Maybe it should have been, maybe I should do more theological study. But um, technically... This gets into a bigger question, which I don't know if we need to answer today, uh, but it's the role of like God's relationship to Israel in general, right? Post-Jesus, mm. right? Because yeah. he would have been part of the covenant people um, to whom God said, like, you'll be my people, I'll be your God, right? And the way of our relationship to God shifted in the new covenant, right? but that's where, depending on your reading of Romans 9 through 11 with, with the people of God and Paul's understanding of Israel and how we are grafted into that family in the old covenant, although in Hebrews is now made obsolete, the way we relate, right? Yeah. The foundation, the family that was set, we are the, now the true seed of Abraham. That, you know, if, if your understanding of that is that every Israelite person will have the opportunity at least to respond to Jesus um, in some way, <laughs> right? Pre, Pre the cross, right? There's this idea where, and Peter talks about going to the dead and preaching to the dead, and Jesus did this, and some responded, whatever. Like, could that be preaching to the old covenant Israelites? And sure, I've heard that. Um, and and so maybe if you want to get into that deeper theology around that stuff. Yeah. So again, I think what you're asking is much actual bigger question than is he in hell or not? Because <laughs> um, yeah. there, there's a lot of implicated theology right in God's relationship both to kingly covenants, to, per, to personal covenant, to um, Israel's role in the new covenant, um, into God's fulfillment of, like, the promises. We do believe the promises are filled in Christ, yes and amen, all that stuff, but is there still a significant relationship um, that God holds his people forevermore, right, um, in, in a special place? Like, that does, I think, bring up some other issues because there are other promises that are forever more language but ultimately do get fulfilled in christ and so which ones are those and so i think it's actually a bigger question of what is ultimately god's relationship to israel in the current new testament new covenant age um that the church has the church replaced israel is it the true israel all those questions right yeah um, and so I don't feel like answering that right now. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Mike, can you believe it's almost April? Uh, I know, right? Today is the 31st, which first off, I'm a proud papa. And so my little girl turned four yesterday. So happy birthday, Liv. Love you. Happy birthday, Liv. Beautiful. She's great. Anyways, it's almost April, as we said, which also means... It's almost Easter. That's right. Which also means uh, you should have your Heaven Here stickers by now. Yeah, I hope you're excited about this. Like, we are pumped about Easter this year. Um, having this idea of Heaven Here as our theme and um, the sticker campaign is sort of just spread in our city this message that we are praying for the city, praying for the churches in the city, praying for whatever you're praying for. I'm praying uh, for hope. I'm praying for restored families. I'm praying for... Um, just the downtown culture yeah. of our of our city to just reflect much more of a. To be honest, like I, when I'm thinking about it, it's like we have so many like of these business guys and homeless guys, 
ignoring each other. Yeah. Just restoration, right? Just, just that thing. I'm praying for those things. I'm just excited for what's going on. And, you know, and we hope that you guys are buying into that, loving it, prepping, making plans. Cause I'm just saying, as I, as I mentioned at Heart and Soul, right? We believe as a church that everyone has a role to play, right? Every single mm-hmm. week, especially on, on these big weekends. And so you have a role to play. And so we hope that you're excited to be part of what God's going to do in, in Kitchener. Um, and plus, um, we got a pretty significant um, announcement that day. They're really excited about. Yep. Um, at least that's the plan as as of now. And that's so right. you know you don't want to miss this weekend, right, Sam? Definitely want to be there. Yeah. As far as uh, what I'm praying for, it's along similar lines to you, Mike. Like I think, I think I just think about how amazing of a community uh, we have at Risen City, and sometimes like you get just so used to having this amazing community it's easy to forget a lot of other people in our city Mm. just don't have that they don't have the access to the kind of support systems that we have uh the kind of amazing people we can kind of lean on um and just reach out to if we're in need if we just need some emotional support some prayer some fellowship um it's unbelievable i have never had anything quite like this and I think my prayer is just that people would be invited into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm praying for people to just join our community, join a community, join a church, find that kind of mm-hmm. just place in God's kingdom. Yeah, no, that's what I would love about this campaign we're doing is that it's it's meant to be bigger than us, right? It's meant to be about our city, about what God's doing, not just through us, but everywhere that it's like, I'm just praying that people meet Jesus, whether that's at Risen, whether that's at Creekside or Slate or Koinonia or anywhere, just like God let heaven come. And so I'm super pumped about it. Just one thing to you guys, um, just a reminder, we don't want to be accused of, you know, you know, vandalism or <laughs> littering. So you could that, argue that that would be sinful. It would be, potentially. So let's just make sure we're, we're being wise in honoring the community around us with the way we attach stickers to things, post things up. Um, and again, we want to encourage you to like and um, share the way you, what you're praying about on, on Instagram, on social, get, get, get this campaign going to help just inundate our culture, our city, uh, with the fact that we, there are people praying that heaven comes here. Um, I'm, I'm pumped about it. I hope, well, I hope it doesn't stop. Like we, we don't intend to stop at Easter. It's like a ramp up to Easter, but that's like launching to my mind at Easter. This yeah, is like for sure the goal to just keep going that like we ordered a bunch of stickers, you know, I hope we have to order more. I I hope it's constantly just going out. Like, it'd be awesome just to walk on every street pole. I don't even know if it's legal or not, but and just see a sticker of what we're praying for as a community. And like, even in Cambridge, we we have a lot of community people in Cambridge, just walking around downtown Cambridge, going in like, you know that, you know those nice like downtown buildings and there's the bridges and the church. Like, just imagine going down there and just seeing a bunch of our stickers everywhere. That'd be just sick to me. I hope they Um, they reach far and wide. Stratford. Why not? We're coming for you. Listool, all the way up there. Listool, there we go. Even St. Jacob's. Yep. <laughs> um, anyways, we're just like, super excited about it. I hope you guys are um, thinking about that, praying for that, because at this point, those stickers should be up and going. Uh, let people know that we're praying for them. In the church, because there is the idea of no sex before marriage, I feel like the idea of consent is not fully fleshed out, explored, or taught on. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5 can certainly be misapplied, twisted, and misappropriated. Seeing as this podcast has not shied away from addressing difficult topics, thank you, appreciate that, I would love to have this discussed. 
Other than the church giving a very cursory, no means no, honor each other talk, I would like to see some of the broken thoughts and assumptions that lead to abuse in relationships discussed. From some secular podcasts I've listened to, it's apparent that there are large gaps in how males and females interpret words, actions, and unwritten societal cues during sex or foreplay. How do we safeguard ourselves and others in this vulnerable, intimate situation? Great question. Wow. Lots to unpack there. I actually need to look up 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5. I just want to double check what that says. But Mike, do you have any initial thoughts on that? Well, uh, as I was thinking about it, I think that we may end up tackling this question in kind of two ways. We'll give some initial insight into what we think about it. Um, but we might have to go to a more deeper discussion later on when we can explore some of the more nuanced sides of this. Um, just because I don't want to, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to cheapen the heart of the question at all with only giving maybe my perspective into it when I know there's other voices that, and other experiences that could probably speak to this as well, especially from the female side of it, since we are two men in a room, mm -hmm. uh, talking about it but the first thing i want to say is that this person is right um in that the christian sexual ethic is actually quite simple and this is i think the first place we just need to get into just to set the framework for how we deal with it as christians because it really is no sex before marriage there, there's no asterisks there's no you know uh, exception clauses that's how it goes. Now, I know there are some sexual um, ethics and questions on certain um, activities, and we'll get into that in, in, in just a minute. But um, for us, the simplicity of our ethic is there is one yes and many no's. Um, and, and the reason why I, I say that is because um, in an ideal world, in the Christian ideal world, you might say, when it comes to sex and relationships, they're actually, the issue of consent um, should never actually be raised until marriage because there should no there should never be a situation upon which you know a kind of sexual consent is necessary when we're reserving that part of ourself into marriage. Now, I say ideal because let's be honest, we are humans, we are sinful, we have you know um, we have certain exploratory seasons, we shall say. Um, and, and so I really think there's actually two conversations that are hidden in this around this idea of consent. Because I think there is the idea of consent in marriage because the verse that gets quoted is specifically about marriage and, and the and the spouse's duty to each yeah. other to should fulfill. I, should I just read that um, real quick? Yeah, go, yeah, you, you can. Sure. So 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5 uh, says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so the, just interesting on that, because we hear that, and we, are, and we will pick up that the woman does not have authority over her own body. That was like we're the first thing I right? saw. I was like, whoa. But in the time, what, the, what they would have picked up on is the second half of that. The man does not have authority, yeah, right? Because yeah. it, was, it was a reversal of those, of those um, 
ideas and actually a leveling of the playing field and in, in the idea yeah. of, of the time. So that is a thing that we, I think, miss is we, for cultural sensitivity reasons, we will, we will read into that mm-hmm. things that don't actually exist in that. Yeah. But what I was saying is, is that there are two conversations because I think there is a sexual ethic within marriage you need to deal with, right? And then there would be a sexual ethic outside of marriage given the brokenness of our world and the confusion around our sexual ethic outside of marriage, often in modern culture. Um, and, and, and so I want, I want to say it like this, that um, the issue of consent um, in, 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 in a romantic sexual way is actually central to healthy marital sexuality. Um, because... Well, what we need to understand, and this is why, like, it's a bigger conversation that maybe can't we can't fully bridge out tonight, because our idea of, of of sexuality as Christians is so nuanced. It's not just this basic appetite. Um, we have this idea of unity, of honor, of of soul. We kind of, we've said it, soul weaving, this covenant making. That it's not just two people, two bodies together. There's something deeper that that's going on. Um, which in this context of marriage, it's never meant to be self-fulfilling, self-gratifying, self-honoring, self-serving, or self-directed. Yeah. Um, and, and so in regards to this question, what this means is that sex in marriage is always, always meant to be an act of serving, loving, and inviting the other into my life, into mm-hmm. this moment, into this pleasure, into this love. Um, and so when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that, you know, there is this fulfilling of the mutual duties um, in the context, if you read around, is talking about, you know, sexual sin and the desires for sexuality and how uh, sometimes marriage is kind of one of those like potential outlets God gave us in grace for the sexual appetite of the human being because we have them. Let's not be weird about it. Um but what he's saying is is not, and this is key, not that every time I walk in the room and say to Emily, hey, it's time that, that she has to <laughs> obey that. Right? Like, uh. But nor does it mean, nor does it mean that I'm not in the mood is a good excuse every single time. Right. Right. Or I'm too tired. Right. Because there's a mutual submission in serving each other in this way. And then the picture actually is so much more beautiful than... Um, the typical kind of sitcom satirical vision of sex and marriage, how it's, you know, it's not as fun anymore. In fact, if you actually get into the statistics, I'm just going to put this out there. Um, you can look it up that married sex is statistically more satisfying um, than non-married cohabitating sex. I'm just putting it out there. All you single people, you want better sex, get married. And we, there's a theory on that and not for today, but hmm. um, but I'm just saying, just think about it. because... Never mind. <laughs> we could get into it if you want, Sam. We could go there. But but what that does mean is that in the in the picture though, like and this is what I want people to see, is that is that the picture that that, that we're painting is that over the course of a healthy marriage, um, there is this healthy dynamic of taking care of each other's needs, right? That are never not never, rarely equal, right? Rare, yeah, rarely rarely yeah. you're gonna have a have a couple where Maybe both, on your honeymoon. Maybe for the first week. <laughs> um where where you're just going all out, but um, that that you know, because we talk about a situational, hormonal, right? Like sexual sex drives change over time. Like there is these things that happen, right? Kids happen, and then energy levels are lower. Sickness, like there, it's always changing. But over the course of the whole marriage, the general idea is that there is this duty that I'm willing and glad to fulfill for my spouse. It's for the other, not for myself. Mm. Which so um, says 
that therefore, if my sex and my sexual appetite is meant to be expressed in marriage as a way to serve the other person, actually, um, consent still has to matter. Yeah. Because it's about serving them. Mm. And then them serving me in, in a... In a um, very selfless manner. This is the dynamic that is the vision of marriage. And so I want to make sure we get this. I have said this in our church before, but um, I want to make sure it's clear that that you can sexually abuse a spouse, right? You can rape your spouse. That is possible. It's disgusting. It is horrible. It happens probably more than we realize. And because of some potential perverted understanding of like a verse like this, of, of what does it mean to be another person's body in a sense, or the one fleshness or even some corrupted version of headship in the marriage that somehow uh, the husband is owed sex or the spouse is owed sex in some way. You can get to this place of genuine abuse in in the sexual arena. Um, and not only just physical, but emotional manipulation, shame, like all these different things that go into it. And so when I've taught on sexual ethics in marriage, um, the way I try to say it is I actually adopt this from from a couple of preachers, but it's that our um, our, our our ethic is defined in mutual agreement on the activity um, that I'm not going to pressure my spouse into anything that is uncomfortable, and and I mean that in more of an emotive um, shaming sense. I don't want, this doesn't make me feel good to do, causing harm, intentional harm. Um, even like, and this is where I would say consent even doesn't matter since that our sex is never meant to dominate or hurt someone. Um, and so if I'm forcing my spouse to do something that, you know, or put in a position or whatever that actually causes them harm, I shouldn't want to do that. And then three, this one's a more spiritual side of it that, that causes our marriage or myself to be enslaved to some kind of activity. If I, if I'm doing something that is in my head, becoming the idol of our sex life, that I should not force that to happen, always lead in the one direction, right? There should be some variety in our expression. Um, all around the idea of mutual consent, that, that this is something that we have talked about, that I'm not, I'm not assuming that I am owed anything. Uh, that is not my attitude. My attitude is to serve and, and, and to love. And, and yes, I'm human, and so even just from personal experience, right, like you still like sometimes want more than you're having or, or, you know, you're, you're in a time where you're like, I'm ready to go and your wife is not, and you got to talk it out and not be a child about it. Right. Like, like we have to recognize that, um, to like, I, I was thinking about this, that, that the side note here also is that if your wife or your husband says no to you, um, becoming manipulative and sucky and like trying to like distance yourself as a way of punishing them. It's not abusive. It's just childish and it's just stupid. Um, so we should never do that, by the way. Um, but um, therefore, within the bond of, of marriage, I want to make sure we get this. That if you go read the Song of Songs, right? Like there is a wide canvas upon which you can paint your love, if you know what I'm saying. There are many things that you can <laughs> enjoy together. But within the framework of marital consent, mm, right? I haven't read it yet because I'm not married. Yeah, Don't you probably to, uh, shouldn't. If you yeah. well, you some Don't of it is innuendo, yeah. and uh, like I, it's pretty funny. I had this Christian sexual ethics, um, like sex and religion course, um, in college, and, and so I'd write a twenty-page paper, 
and I decided to do the sexual ethics of marriage based out of Song of Songs, <laughs> and then got my mom to edit it. It was it was amazing. Oh, Sorry, mom, I shouldn't have done that to you, but I did. Anyways, um, so what that means is in marriage, yes, I think we have to be more aware of the fact that having good open communication about sex and our desires, expectations, hopes, you know, um, like my wife is meant to be my greatest fantasy, you know, that we can talk about that. Um, but I, I'm even in marriage, like Emily is not my sex slave. I don't own her in any way. So if you, if so, if, if there's some kind of weird misreading of what Paul is trying to communicate of a healthy mutual submission to serving the needs of the other, and some of you get that to mean that I am like, I, I, I married someone and now like I am owed their body. Mm. I th- that that is a very selfish misreading, I would argue. Do they do they ever do you think there's a, maybe a misreading of uh, the two shall become one flesh in that one as well? That my like my desire. If I'm feeling this way, that means we're both feeling this way. Well, sure, but then again, I, I, that that's truncating the point of of one fleshness, right? Yeah. To one single thing, uh, because if you really want to take it like marital duties in this way, he is directly talking about sex, but that doesn't limit it to that, right? My marital duty fulfills all the covenant that I promised to do, and so you know it's to love, serve, protect, honor, admonish, encourage, you know, disciple and grow, lead and care. like. So it's so much bigger than than just this thing, and so I think if we go into it um, with the idea of self gratification. I misread it. If I go into it understanding that part of the covenant is that we honor and serve each other's needs, then that is my duty to fulfill, to love. My The duty is to love my spouse. And if that means I need to, um, in this moment, you know, refrain from sex or engage in it, I should be wanting to do that to serve my spouse. And so, so for me, the quick answer on the marriage side of it is that consent actually is central to the expression of sexuality, that, that you should never be engaging, even in marriage and things that has not been mutually approved of, yeah. talked about, communicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just like, like and, and, if, and, and, and if somehow there's this weird theology of sexual ownership in your marriage, you need to repent of that. Like that is demonic. Um, it's it's not the heart of marriage that God has for um, His people and, and for marriage in general. And so I would I would like I, that's as strong as I'll say it for for right now. Um, but I said there was a second part, and this mm-hmm. is where obviously I've not been dating for six years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the idea of, of sexual ethics within dating and how that relates to the idea of consent within that world. Yeah. And and I want to start with this and Sam, like I know you're you're recently dating now and. Um, you can attest to this, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, but um, no one's ever died that that you know of from not having sex. Is that, is that, is that true? I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, like here's the thing, right? Like, sex for us is not just some basic biological appetite. It's part of our biology, hundred percent. But it's not like food or water, where if you don't have it, you die. Yeah. Right? And and I know it comes as a shock to modern culture, but it is possible absolutely possible to deeply love someone be with someone and keep your pants on i'm just saying 
right? As, yeah. as as crazy as as that might sound, right? It is it is possible to deeply love someone, actually respect proper physical boundaries, and 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 I understand that if your response to that, not you, Sam, the general listener, is like that's unrealistic. Like let, let's be real about the modern life. Um, I would say I actually am being realistic yeah like, no i think you are too. like the thing is we don't have to lower our sexual ethic and expectation um because culture around us thinks that's you know antiquated yeah um because the thing about it, and we've talked about this before not in this podcast but just as guys right that essentially you know purity before marriage um equals fidelity in marriage right that 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 we have to understand that our self-control before we are married is is the same coin as a fidelity when we are married because before we're married even if you know we're with our girlfriend or whatever um she's still not my wife i still do not have the covenant relationship the covenant privilege of being with her um in a sexual way and so if i'm willing to break that before i'm married there's no reason in my character that developed to stop it after um in the grace of god hopefully we will develop and grow and become that even if we have made those decisions but so for me i don't think it's unrealistic to expect christian people who say Jesus influences every single part of their life to do that, right? To, to not be able, I mean, to be able to not have sex before marriage. And and so, um, okay, and I, I want to say that in the context of the heightened view of sex, just quickly, um, I don't want to dominate too much, but I think the reason people think that we have some weird, you know, sexual ethic as Christians is because, in the in the progressive devaluing of what sex is, we have kept our, our standard of, what, of how we see it. Not right. standard, but just the way that we the way that we honor it. Like yeah. we actually hold it as one of the few things that are sacred in all of creation. Right. I've talked about this before in our church that before the fall happened, um, God instituted if, like at least four pre fall, pre sin sacred things. Relationship with him life work and and sex and marriage and and all those things were given uh to humans before the fall corrupted them um and by work a whole other conversation you could talk about any kind of creative endeavor and cultural development whatever um that these are part of the good things god put out into the world so for for us sex is not some base biological you know just purely an urge I need to fulfill, but what it is for us, it essentially is procreative, of course, pleasurable, hallelujah. Um, but it's 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 unifying. That's yeah. what it's meant to be. It's it's it's. I've even gone gone so far to say, in the sort of the language of Tim Keller, that it, it's a covenant um, ceremony. It's what it is. It's supposed to enact the covenant. We are one flesh again. And every time I engage with someone in a one flesh act, I'm, I'm proclaiming this truth statement that we are one flesh. So I'm either lying or I'm creating these one flesh unions and breaking them off all the time. Or I'm singularly reminding my soul with my wife, every time we are together, that we are one flesh, we are one flesh, we are one flesh. That's the point of it. Not to mention the mirroring of the grace of God and the love of God for a broken church and how we are supposed to love our spouse with that kind of love. Like it's, it's so much deeper than just, I want to have a good time. It's not just naked bodies colliding for us. It's meant to be the nakedness of a person, body, mind, and soul together, the unity of a life, not just physically, but we would argue financially, emotionally, vision of the life, all that stuff coming together. So the reason why our sexual ethic is so limited is not because we actually think sex is 
gross. We think it's a gift and it's good and it's awesome in its time, in its place. Number one. So with that said, um, <laughs> I understand that we have to deal with the fact that putting ourselves in places where the conversation around sexual consent needs to happen is already blurring lines that you could argue a Christian should never blur. So I just want to say that pastorally. Yeah. Right? Like, on a very idealistic theological framework, right? That is where we need to go to. I know when in the dating culture that we live in that most young Christians who are dating, um, even older ones who think they're above the law, right? Kind (laughs) of like, will push those boundaries and whatever. And and although I don't think it's wise, by the way, um, it happens. And so how do we deal with that, right? Because that is where some of this abuse that this question is talking about happens within these relationships where... Maybe boundaries are being pushed, and um, and how do we how do we relate to that? And so I want to I did want to speak to that, and um, first of all, draw some lines for us on just a purely ideological framework. Um, and the line is basically, and we'll make sure that this is as awkward as possible. Um, just because you don't penetrate doesn't mean you didn't have sex. That's for us as Christians the line. And what I mean by that is the sexual expression, the sexual pleasure I can give to someone doesn't, you go read songs, songs. It does not consist simply in penetrative sex. And so, you know, I'll let your mind fill in the blanks on the other activities people try to justify before marriage is it's not really sex. Bill Clinton tried that as well um, to just give you an idea. But, um, which means that the lines of having to ask for those things, if you're in a situation where it's progressing to that space, I would argue you're already as a Christian pushing beyond the bounds of safety. Um, and hear me today, if 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 you say no, I know this person said like, we don't want just to know is no, but like that is actually very true in this regard. If you say no, and one of the two keeps pushing, um, that is abusive right? That's manipulative. It is, it is, it's number one, not honoring and not loving. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even to mention the, the sexual sin that now is involved then on the Christian side of it. Right. right. Um, and so I, I would say that there is that, that, that dynamic at play now. And to be honest, if, you know, if that's the continual pattern of your, of the person you're with, you probably should not be with them. Mm-hmm. Just going to put that one out there, right? If you have to keep saying no, and they keep pressuring and they keep putting it on and then right. just, just stop. Now, with that said, um, you know, I, when I hear the question, I kind of hear the idea of mixed signals and like misinterpretation of words or, you know, you know, people talk about like the chase, right? Playing hard to get, you know, when she says no, does she mean no? Well, I, at face value, I would hope that I'm wise enough to honor her if she says no. I'm just going to say that, right? Like, um, because... I'd rather err on the side of honor than on the side of pleasure. And and so if there's a situation upon which that you are questioning as a man, because we, we're men, so we can talk to that side of it, right? That, that you are desiring certain things, right? And she is saying, no, um, I don't think it's any less romantic to stop and say, is this no meaning like yes 
or no meaning no. I know that sounds so dumb, but like, like why not? Like, yeah. like, because so even so, okay, I'm married and I still do that. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, right? I'll ask Emily like, hey, like, is this okay? Are we gonna do this? And she's like, ah, no, let's do that, right? And it's like, all right, well, I'm good because you're my wife, so I'm happy to be here with you. But um, like, I think that we just have to be more realistic in this sense and i know mm. some guys would be like that's just dumb that's going but no but- i remember asking like my first kiss like two weeks before if i could kiss her yeah, yeah, um, yeah. at her birthday um and cause that was because i was young and mm. afraid but the i also really did want like as young as i wanted her permission to think it was okay no but like let me jump in here yeah. too like um so i can't speak to all the other experiences that you're talking about but uh as far as kissing goes like yeah it's a personal policy of mine that if i'm gonna kiss someone for the first time i do ask them first um and i don't think that that's somehow less romantic than like just going for it if you do it right it's even more romantic i would say so yeah i I mean like i think i don't know i don't need to get into tactfulness yeah you just gotta be tact tactful about it um and i think there's actually i think that's actually like sweeter if you do ask I think that's actually setting up right expectation for the long haul. Um, right. Starting things off on the right foot. If you would just do something as simple as ask if you can kiss them, which, um, yeah, I mean. Or so just yeah. like even one step before that, um, ask if you can hold her hand. Like what? Like, because again, it, it seems almost maybe overly sensitive, but actually if you do it right, it's kind of like. A very flirtatious moment. I'm just putting it out there, right? You can do it in a way that actually sets the heightened level of, ro- of romance even more because there's this desire that it's there. And so I agree, man. Like, I think if you if you do it well, it actually does lend to, to the moment a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And this is where it's tough for me to talk about, to be honest, man, because it's like, as a pastor, my first advice is already, don't put yourself in a situation where you have to have sexual consent. Like, define those boundaries ahead of time you know, and, and protect them. Um, and if you're with someone who's constantly pushing them and not respecting those boundaries because of whatever, like, dumb ideas they have about relationships, then, like, don't be with them. Like, I, like I know that's harsh. And, you know, if I were to look back at myself as a young man, like, I know I'd do some maturing in this area. Like, I was, like, Emily and I, we... We, we, we were virgins when we got married and we did, you know, we were sexually pure in that, in that way. And I'm glad for it, by the way. And it wasn't like some repressive thing. I'm glad that we had that. But I still had desires that I had to check all the time. Uh, I sort of tell, tell, tell a story where like, you know, um, Emily, um, because of some other issues, when, when it went on the pill before we got married to a while while we were engaged and just killed her, her sex drive completely. Um, and... It was great for us because I was the one like, hey, like I, I got some urges here. And she's like, no, um, and it was grace of God, to be honest. Um, but just admitting that, like, I understand it's tough. I understand that there's these things, there's the desires. I mean, you're hormonal and you're, you know, going off the rails with that stuff. But it's never an excuse to push a woman beyond her comfort and hmm. as a man beyond what you know god approves of right does that make sense yeah so you're talking a lot about like putting yourself in situations and i mean we could there's probably tons of books written about this for like teenagers and stuff but like what kind of situations are we talking about here well sam um to be honest like this is what i tell 
people, right? And I, like, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I've had this conversation with, with many a young men that if you're going to do anything and you are the only one who kind of knows your own heart and knows where your mind goes, knows where your desires go, that if you're going to do anything, I don't even care if it's holding her hand. If you can't hold her hand in just pure love for her, don't hold her hand. Mm. That's kind of the line for me. Now, obviously, we've I mentioned earlier some obvious ones. Actual, you know, penetrative sex, right? But non-penetrative sex, hand jobs, oral, um, mutual, we'll call, no. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I probably, I'm just going to. I know what you're I'm saying. I'm just going to pull that one back and not try to give it a, a interesting name. Um, even I would argue, like, there comes a point when, and it's like, and this is the thing that people can't be dumb about, right? Like, the when you are, like, in love with someone and you've gone beyond we're just good friends, we are, we're loving each other, right? We know, like, there is a natural progression to that relationship that does want to express itself in oneness. Like, mm-hmm. I think we can't be dumb about yeah, that, right? Like, true. that is part of the thing. And so just, like, well, it's just kissing. Fine, but with passion and with emotion, with commitment, you want to get to the sex, like that's part of that, like that's, right? And so it's like I'm just yeah. gonna just really make out for a while, and I'm totally not gonna think. No, you're an idiot, right? You are gonna think those thoughts. You need to just think through that a little bit, and and so that's where it's like, can can you say are you like? There's some people like you know you can't kiss to your marriage. That's dumb, and maybe I'm dumb for thinking that, but like I couldn't have done that to be honest. I just it's one of those simple things, but. There were there times where we probably kissed too much, definitely, mm. right? And so that's where the lines I think have to become, kind of between like you and whoever you're with. And in our rule, Emily and I, we made up a rule that whoever had the the more stricter boundary, we went with that one. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, and you, <laughs> it was Emily uh, because she's no, good. a better a human than than yeah. than I am. Um, and, and so like, you know. For like, I sometimes our rules because of my my mom was that we were never like to like lay down or nap together, um, which at the time was annoying. I think was actually wise now that I think about it and all the hormones that were course through my body. Could Emily have handled it? Definitely. Could some people handle it? Probably. Could I handle it? No. Right. So that's kind of my personal expression of that. Although, like when you think about it. Let's go in a room alone in a bed that's comfy and cuddle for a while. Like, I don't care who you are, right? Like, that's just like, that's asking there to be fire. Um, and so, again, I think, you know, I think it's wisdom, right? It's truly having to walk in that. And I don't know, like, I, like, I just, I think that we play so, like, we, we, we equate sex and, and love so much in culture that I think it's actually really hard to walk this, this, road now right like you can genuinely beautifully love another person not have to sleep with them like i think we have to get back to that idea really own that one um and i think that just makes sex and marriage so much better if like this person you loved for them and now there's this part of it that's added which i get progresses and the closer you get to marriage the harder it's going to be and all those great things and um, but like how many times I've had a conversation with someone who is like, yeah, man, we pushed the line, we crossed the line, we did this and, and I like, stumbled, man. Right, right. And it's like, how many times have I had that conversation? Like, well, what were you doing? Well, we were alone in the field. Like, why are you alone in the field rolling around? Like, like what are you doing? Um, you know, or whatever it is. And, 
and and I get it. I was there, and, and but it's still this idea of like I need to you need to honor the future more than the present sometimes. Um, and again, I know we've sort of gotten off the idea of consent specifically, but like if 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 you're in a situation where you have set boundaries, proper ones, and one of the two people keep on pushing them, um, even after you've made this, you know, very clear here is my line, then I would say you need to break up with them and not be in a relationship with them. I do think that is important for us to put out there. Um, why, why do, like, how do I want, like, why, why is there such a difference between, you know, the, the sexes in this regard? I think, communication is huge. I don't think we often, we actually talk deeply enough about what we're talking about when we talk about some of this stuff. And we make a lot of assumptions, especially when we're younger, about what women want, what we want. Um, and again, I, I, and I don't know if this, if this question is pushing in the direction of kind of like the heightened awareness within the Me Too generation that we now live in. Um, but I do think that like we have to just take what culture is brought to us for the good and the correct the bad. And the good thing is um, that we can be more aware of how to sexually honor one another. Yeah. Because um, at the end of the day, that's what this comes down to. How do, how do we sexually honor one another? And the best way for, as young men talking, for a young man to honor her, another woman in our life, is to not take advantage of her sexually. Yeah. Right? Which includes, in our definition of sexual ethics, by the way, if she's not your wife... You don't enjoy any part of it. I'm just putting it out there, right? Like, that's the strictness of our ethic. And so Christian men, like, honestly, in the ideal world, should strive to never put yourself in a situation where you need to be thinking about consent until you're married. Because mm. then, yes, you can get into, well, what is foreplay? And what is, you know, the, the flirtations that happens? And, you know, all that stuff. And, and that's probably for a much more in-depth, marriage-centered conversation. Um, but I do want to just stress that for our community that, you know, if you're continually finding yourself in places where this guy is misreading my signals, well, either he's choosing to, to be honest, because I do think there's an idea sometimes men will play dumb because they just think, I don't, I don't even know why, because we just, because we're selfish to be straight up, right? We just want to feel what we want to feel. And that is, by the way, the lowest form of sexuality is just pure selfish desire, selfish pleasure. Um, and, and I think that if we just, are continually misreading some of that stuff. It's just like, do I really love her? Do I really honor this person or is she an object to me? And I think that's what we need to see is that like women for human beings are not objects of sexual pleasure. This is why I hate pornography so much. We could get into right. that conversation too, yeah. right? That it's just it, like people are so much more than that. Yeah. And, and all this sexual temptation that I felt towards Emily when we were dating right, is ultimately a result of two things happening, of the good natural development of relationship towards that, as we, there should be, and the selfishness in me that I wanted but I could not have, right? Because I had no, you know, as Paul writes in First Corinthians, I had no marital duties, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and you could call them marital privileges, whatever. And so, like, you know, that was part of the, the, the struggle is recognizing that, you know, temptation is... Going to be part of dating, mm -hmm. part of that that world, 
but putting myself in unnecessary places where consent in this specific way is necessary, like what I'm okay with, we shouldn't be in that spaces. And so um, I want to honor that. I want to say if, if this person is writing from personal experience, um, like I'm, I'm, I feel bad. I'm sorry that you've had to feel that way and feel manipulated and feel essentially abused, um, dominated and dishonored in such a cruel and personal way. Vulnerable. She, uh, I'm assuming it's a girl, but it could not be. Um, rights. And it's just disgusting that we sometimes allow the selfishness of our heart to dominate other people. Um, like, I think we just got to call that out. It's not appropriate in any sense of it. Um, and I think that the beautiful nature of God was trying to protect the intimacy of naked bodies and souls by covenant. And to me, that's not regressive. It's not antiquated. It's actually very beautiful and heightened in its glory when we understand what it was meant to do. Now, outside of a Christian sexual ethic, everything I've said makes no sense. And I understand that. Mm. Um, but that's why I think we had to start with that question. And yeah. so I, I know I probably didn't fully address the communication errors this person was talking about. Um, but I do think that we have to put it in a framework. Yeah. And this is our Christian framework. Yeah. At least to the best of my knowledge.